Well, indeed, this is a favorite time of the year for Americans filled with cookouts and pool parties and time away with family, fireworks, and giving thanks to God for the many freedoms and experiences and opportunities that we are privileged to enjoy as citizens of this great nation. Well, celebrating the U.S. of A. is still alive and well, as is evidenced by the many temporary fireworks tents that uh, dot our nation's landscape during this time of year. A full 240 years after the leaders of the 13 American colonies got together and signed the Declaration of Independence during the Revolutionary War. So if you are a citizen of this nation or if you simply live here temporarily, then and you have been granted some opportunities, some freedoms for which to thank God. Indeed, we have freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedoms of opportunities and laws against discrimination for which we should give God Thanks. Many things in our nation's history have have not changed over our short existence, but other things have changed as leadership changes. And church, believe it or not, America will not always be the most coveted place to live on this earth. For every nation, for every kingdom, eventually will fall, even the United States of America. And we certainly don't look forward to that day and hope and pray that that is many, many years into the future. But it is important for us to acknowledge and to recognize today as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as the church, that there is one kingdom that never ends. And there is one leader whose term never expires. And he is the high king of heaven, Jesus Christ, the son of God. There is no other like him. And friends, as believers, as followers of Jesus, he is the one above all that we want to hear from today. He is the one who we want to speak to us and to shape us and to lead us as his church Today, So let's invite him to do so. Let me invite you to join me in God's Word, the final book of God's Word, the book of Revelation. And if you're using a pew Bible, and certainly if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, then I would encourage you to use one of our pew Bibles. I believe it's on page 991, the opening page of the final book, the final portion of the Scriptures as we begin a new short series today titled The End of the Story from the book of Revelation, where we'll be looking at selected passages of Scripture over the next few weeks, not a verse-by-verse study of the book, but we will be looking at selected key passages, and the first of those is the opening of this important book. So as you find your way to the book of Revelation, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 1, beginning... In verse 1, God's word reads this way. It states, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to, to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do ask you, we invite you today to lead us as we seek to rightly understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives today as your people, as believers, as followers of this Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, lead us and guide us now through your word by the power and direction of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Most likely, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I would dare say that this book of God's word is the most debated, has been the most debated portion of God's word most mysterious portion of God's word for believers throughout the centuries. And I believe it's because of that word, that phrase, not that word, that phrase in verse 1 about what must soon take place. What must soon take place. Things that are to come, much of these things that are to come for believers. Now, we all like a good mystery if we can figure it out. We all like to be surprised if we don't know a surprise is coming. And so Christians throughout the centuries have debated and prayed over and sought the Lord's direction over the words and the phrases and the verses and the chapters and the visions and the symbols of this book. And so what do we know? What do we know about this book? What do we know about Revelation? We know that it is from God. More specifically here in verse 1, it is from Jesus Christ. The revelation from Jesus Christ. And it is for His people. It is for His servants. It is for believers, ultimately for their good. Written written as an encouragement to Christians. And it was originally written, specifically addressed in this letter to seven churches. Those seven churches are listed in verse 11 to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Real cities in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey that received this revelation, that received this letter that spoke to them. And so even though this is a letter 
portion of God's word, like the rest of God's word, that is for believers in every age, it is for Christians even today, gathered today in the 21st century, before it was a letter to us, before it was instructive for us, it was given to them, real believers in the first century, in the late first century. And I say all that to say that that if we are going to understand the truths that are conveyed here, portrayed here through symbols and visions and images in the book of Revelation, then we need to know some about how this would have come across to its original audience. In other words, we cannot have a fuller understanding. We are not privy to a, a greater understanding of the symbols and images found here than the first audience was, as some teachers and preachers like to convey. If so, then it could not be understood until today. But it has been understood. It has been used. It has been a source of encouragement and guidance for believers throughout the century, written to believers who were facing a variety of difficulties. Firstly, believers in the first century, the late first century, most likely that were facing uh, persecution under the emperor. Other believers who were facing doctrinal error and still others who were facing the temptation to compromise their faith or to compromise the standards that God had laid forth for his people. So this is a book that is given by God to John, a well-known John, a John who who mentions his own name several times in the opening chapter but doesn't say any more about who he is. So most likely a well-known John in that time. Most likely the John who was a disciple of Jesus. And so each of these cities that are then addressed, these seven cities, likely represent all churches. For seven is an important number in God's word and specifically an important number in the book of Revelation that conveys completeness, conveys uh, perfection. And so written to real live churches in real cities at one point in history. And each of these addressed in the way that a courier would have delivered this letter to those cities from John's location, which is in exile on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. So each city, several miles apart, 30 to 40 miles between each of these cities, and a courier would have gone and Someone would have read this letter and the recipients, the hearers in the church would have heard this letter, which is why verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So it was written to Christians in that day, but also for Christians in every age to encourage believers to endure to encourage believers to believe and to encourage believers to obey. And this encouragement right here in this letter begins with a prayer for grace and peace from God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives us grace and peace. We see this right here in the opening words of this letter, not only this letter, but other New Testament letters as well, that God, and more specifically, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives us grace and peace. So beginning in verse 4, we have this formal introduction 
for this letter, where John identifies himself as the author. He identifies these seven churches in Asia as the recipients of this letter. And then he gives this special type of prayer, a prayer where he addresses the recipients, but he's actually, through the address, praying to God. Be much like if I said to you, God bless you. I'm addressing you, I'm talking to you, but, but really that is meant to be a prayer to God. May God bless you. Well, here John says to his readers, he says, grace and peace to you. But oh yeah, that grace and peace is, verse 4, from Him. It is from God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gives us grace and peace. Throughout the Scriptures, God is portrayed and conveyed in the fullness of God's Word as the only God, but a God who is one God who has made Himself known in three persons. He is one God, three distinct persons. He is Father, and He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. And so many think right here there's a reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Probably a reference to the Father. And from the seven spirits before His throne, many believe this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Again, the number seven, emphasizing perfection or completion. And then no doubt, verse 5, a reference to the Son and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so as this letter unfolds, as this book unfolds, the author who ultimately we know is God, this is from Christ, wants us to especially hone in and be reminded of some important truths, particularly regarding that second member of the Trinity, the Son of God who is Jesus Christ. And we see right here that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Look back at verse 5 with me. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Who is the faithful witness. So written to believers who were experiencing difficulty. Were experiencing the the prospect of persecution and suffering for their faith in Christ as the church grew, as it flourished in Asia Minor in the late first century, threatening the polyistic culture uh, in, in which it was situated. As they faced hardships, as they faced challenges, as they faced potential suffering, they were reminded that Jesus likewise faced difficulty, that he likewise faced suffering and he was found faithful to his mission. He was and is faithful to God. For believers in every age, whether the first century or the 21st century or any time in between, have been called to testify to the truth, to witness to the truth about Jesus, who he is and what he has done on our behalf and on behalf of any who will believe in Him, any who will trust in Him, any who will repent of sins and recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And we can be encouraged to that end. We could be prodded and instructed to be faithful toward that mission as we look to the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior. For He has not called us to do anything that He has not done. Jesus is Faithful. So as believers, let's be faithful as Jesus is 
faithful. And secondly, we see here that Jesus defeated death. Jesus is faithful and Jesus defeated death. So look back at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. This is a, a, a phrase that was used most likely in the early church to reference the spiritual reality and the physical reality that Jesus indeed came back from the dead, that he conquered death, that he rose from the grave by the power of of God. He has defeated death for us. And because Jesus is victorious over death, we can rest assured that we too, as followers of Jesus, will one day experience a resurrection from the dead, a resurrection unto eternal life. And one other early church leader said the same truth this way, recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 19. Paul wrote to Christians in Corinth, he said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of, we are of all people most to be pitied. He said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so hearing this title for Jesus, that he is the firstborn among the dead, the firstborn of the dead, that he has defeated death, would have served as a great encouragement and does serve as a great encouragement for believers who are enduring hardships and sufferings, whether it be from King Caesar in the first century or under the supreme leader of Iran today or under Kim Jong-un in North Korea or ISIS in the 21st century. Believers, take courage for Jesus has defeated death. Jesus is faithful. Jesus has defeated death. And Jesus is the ultimate king. Jesus is the ultimate king. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. For not only is Jesus Christ our creator and our redeemer and the sustainer of our lives. He is the ruler over all who holds all power and all authority in his hands. There is none like him. There's no one like Jesus. He is the eternal God, the sovereign one who rules and reigns from on high. And believer, nothing happens in your life and in my life apart from that sovereign one allowing it to happen. I know when we think about tragedies and wars and many hardships that we face in this life, that truth can be a bit uncomfortable. But at the same time, how comforting it is to know that Nothing happens beyond or outside of his control, that he is sovereign, that he is king, that there is none like him, that he is never taken by surprise, that he is the ultimate king and he will prevail. Friends, Jesus is the eternal king who deserves to be exalted and to to be served for forever. For Jesus warrants glory and power forever. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, warrants glory and power for forever. He deserves to be 
praised. And he has all power and will continue to hold all power and authority for generations and generations and generations for forever to come. For he is is God. Drawing from images and truths from Old Testament visions, particularly the book of of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and following. If you ever want to study Revelation in detail, you'll certainly want to look at the end of the book of, of Daniel. But we read here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and a father, to serve his God and father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. An image and language that no doubt goes back to the book of Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel has experienced this vision from God and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what it means. But in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, he says, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. No doubt a reference to the Messiah coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. He approached God and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Hear this. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be Destroy. Jesus is the ultimate king and his dominion, his reign, his kingdom endures for forever. Now, friends, there's no desiring that the nation in which we live, the United States of America, is a desirable place on earth at present to live. And I caught myself yesterday saying something as we were traveling down the road. In fact, Ashley was driving, we were crossing. Uh, the Mississippi River and had my laptop out and I was trying to type something and all of a sudden we're doing like this and, I'm, and I just said out loud, I said, this is the worst road in the world. And then I immediately thought, except that it's better than the best road I traveled on in Belize and better than the best road I traveled on in Honduras and better than the best road that I remember traveling on in Moldova. And that is in no way a criticism of those other nations. That is simply... An observation that recognizes how privileged we have been and are not because of anything we have done, but simply as a result of, of grace. America, no doubt, is a desirable place to live and sometimes is the object of criticism and attacks and sometimes rightly so, but few people have given the opportunity would would choose to live elsewhere. For we have abundant freedoms here. Freedom of speech and freedom to gather and worship as we choose and freedoms of opportunity and rules and laws against discrimination. But friends, hear me on this. All of these freedoms, as great as they are, and no doubt I think that these freedoms are reflective of important truths that are found in God's Word, that are honoring to God, but as great as these are, are only a shadow of the freedom that we have in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus offers true freedom. We see right here from God's Word that Jesus offers true freedom. Verse 5, to Him who loves us and has freed us 
from our sins by his blood. The truth, according to the scriptures, is that all stand before God condemned as a result of our sin, as a result of our rebellion against God, as as a result of our failing to live up to God's perfect standard, deserving of condemnation and judgment from the one and only holy, eternal, sinless God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The earnings for sin is death. Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though we deserve death, And though we were once in bondage to sin, slaves to sin, God has freed us through the sacrifice of Christ, giving us true freedom in Him. Freedom to approach Him boldly. Freedom to know that we stand in right relationship with Him through repentance and faith in Christ. Freedom to come before Him confidently through the great high priest, the one who gave His life for us. Friends, if you know Christ, then you know true freedom. Writing to Christians in Corinth, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, For where the Spirit of the Lord is, and where is the Spirit of the Lord? We know, according to the Word of God, that the Spirit of the Lord is with God's people, with those who have been saved by God's grace. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So do you know the freedom that comes in and through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus offers true freedom. And we also see here that Jesus makes us citizens of his kingdom. Jesus offers true freedom. And Jesus makes us citizens of his kingdom. Back to Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Verse 6. And has made us to be a kingdom. Has made us believers to be a kingdom. Part of his kingdom. It's a privilege to be a citizen of any nation, any kingdom, any political state. And no doubt there are requirements and a process for gaining citizenship wherever that might be. And even so, there's a process for gaining citizenship in God's kingdom. But it's From our perspective, a fairly easy process. There's no paperwork involved. It simply takes acknowledging that you are a sinner before God and repenting of a life of sin and turning to Jesus in faith, recognizing that He is Savior and that He is Lord. Are you a citizen of Christ's kingdom? For Jesus says, all who believe in Him are citizens of His kingdom. Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins. He certainly does that, but He also saves us to serve Him as His agents in His eternal kingdom. Jesus offers true freedom. Jesus makes us citizens of His kingdom. And thirdly, Jesus gives us spiritual privileges. Jesus gives us, as His people, spiritual privileges. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, verse 6, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever Amen. Friends, what an awesome privilege it is to approach the high King of heaven and to worship Him. To stand before Him and declare His praise. 
his worth, knowing that he loves us and that he accepts us in and through Jesus Christ. A picture that we see over and over portrayed again and again throughout the book of Revelation. A picture that will certainly be the case for all believers for all of eternity. Worshiping the King. Enjoying the greatness and the awe of His presence. God gives us grace and peace. Jesus warrants glory and power forever and ever. And all will one day know that there is none like Jesus. Friends, all will know that there is none like Jesus. Jesus. So look back, the final two verses we looked at earlier. Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We read, look, he is coming. Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see, the truth is circumstances on this earth change. Earthly circumstances change for all people. They change for Americans. They change for Koreans. They change for Jews. They change for Christians. But we as believers are invited to look at earthly circumstances through the lens of God's eternal plan of redemption. So as believers in Jesus, let's stand alongside other believers across this nation and around the world, many of whom are experiencing suffering and persecution and hardship, much like believers in the first century. But let's stand together as believers and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is the great I am. He stands outside of time as the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who is And who was and who is to come as the Lord of history who is guiding history for our very good and for his glory. Friends, Jesus will be known as the almighty and good king. The scriptures are clear. God's word is clear. Revelation chapter 1 is clear that Jesus will be known as the almighty and good king. King, He is the Almighty One, for there is none like Him. He is the Sovereign King. He is the matchless ruler. But He is also a God who is good, who gives grace and peace, undeserved kindness and spiritual calm through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus will be known as the Almighty and good King and Friends, no doubt, as citizens of this nation, as Americans and others who are living here, we we benefit from the service of others. We thank God for the humble service and courage of those who have served this country. And let's certainly thank God for that and let's honor those who have served. But as believers in Jesus, as Christians, as followers of Christ, Let's acknowledge that we too are part of a kingdom that is greater than any nation and that we serve a king who rules and who reigns over all. The one who is the beginning and the end, the one who is the faithful witness, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty one. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's acknowledge Him. Let's acknowledge Jesus' position. 
Let's recognize who he is. Let's surrender to the king and let's live lives of service to him. For one day, Jesus will be known by all as the almighty and good king. So let's go ahead and start living like it. Let's rightly respond to this one. This one who generates all and rightly so. And thank God that he is a God who generates all and captivates audiences by his grandeur and his power. But thank God that he is a God who is also a loving and caring father who loves us and who is with us. Who never leaves us, who never forsakes us whose love for us is so incredible, so strong, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, shall not be separated from God, but have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's acknowledge Jesus' position. And secondly, let's look to Jesus' example as one who was obedient to the Father to carry out the mission that was given to him as one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. So as we as Christians face hardships in this life, be it suffering, be it tragedy, be it illness, whatever it be, let's heed the the words of the author of Hebrews chapter 12 and let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's acknowledge Jesus' position, church. Let's look to Jesus' example. And finally, let's embrace our role as heavenly citizens. Embrace your role as a heavenly citizen. Friends, our primary allegiance is to him he is our god he is our lord he is our savior and he is our king so let's carry out lives that fulfill the role that he has entrusted to us to be ambassadors to be witnesses to be heralds to proclaim the message of the gospel to be children of the king so that all will one day know that Jesus is the almighty and good king. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for calling us as your own. Father, we thank you for inviting us to know you and to walk with you and to be reconciled to you through the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the true freedom that you extend to us Father, may we live in light of what it is that you have done for us. Father, we pray that each of us gathered here today in this place as a gathering of your people, that we would live lives that recognize your might, that acknowledge your greatness. Father, and that respond with thanksgiving to your goodness and your mercy. So Lord, lead us as we respond to you, as we declare your greatness through song, as we Spend time in prayer confessing sin as we simply thank you for who you are and what you do for us. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.